This is Bloomberg Business Week. I'm Carol Masser. And I'm Jason Kelly. We're here every day bringing you the latest news from the world of business and finance. Plus technology, politics, economics, all harnessing the power of Bloomberg Business Week reporters and editors. Not to mention our 2,700 journalists and analysts in more than 120 countries. You can download Bloomberg Business Week on iTunes, SoundCloud, or Bloomberg.com. You can also listen to our radio show weekdays at 2 p.m. Eastern, only on Bloomberg Radio. So our next guest is a stock picker and looks perhaps maybe at the market from a different side. He more spe- he specifically really focuses on special situations and cheap stocks. And uh, yeah, stocks got a little bit cheaper today uh, due to the sell-off. Back with us is David Marcus, co-founder, CEO at Evermore Global Advisors. He is in our Bloomberg Interactive Broker Studio here in New York. I kidded with you when you walked in. I'm like... Yeah, this is the kind of environment that a value person likes, like yourself. I mean, you're looking for stocks to be a little bit cheaper. Absolutely. We, we like, well, we're never going to say we like a virus, but we right. like to take advantage of a crisis period because it's going to happen anyway. But what, what tends to happen is investors get so carried away, they start selling things indiscriminately. They don't think about, will this be impacted or not? They just want to get out. They just want to go to cash and in that environment, they're many times throwing out good things with... But do you think we're there? It doesn't feel that way. I mean, look, today you had the CDC come out and just sort of put out a warning. I think that really puts another layer of, of scaring people. And it's real. Uh, we're not going to make light of, of this issue. But every time that there's a call for this is the end, this is the end of the world, this time is different, it always turns out that the world has not ended in any of the prior ones that were called for. And when we looked back, we said those were opportunities to take advantage of situations. And I'm not saying run out and buy everything in sight. In our fund, we're having a tough run this year, I could tell you. This has been after a good year last year. I was looking at the numbers, yeah. Right off a cliff, you know, and it's, it's, it's very frustrating. So for what we own already, we're not happy that things are down so much. But for the, but, but at the same time, we can average in. I really believe in being, I, I like to say we're nibblers, we're not gobblers. We take a small bite on a bad day. Mm-hmm. We've had quite a number of bad days recently, so we keep taking small nibbles and averaging in because you don't know where the bottom is. And, and again, people will start to think, they, they extrapolate everything now to being just a hor- horrible situation. And, right. and look, the reality will set in. We'll see what happens. Uh, but generally, you're getting opportunities to really take advantage of the sheer panic that others start to have and whether it was uh, previous SARS, MERS, cholera. Uh, we went back and we looked at all these crisis periods just as people thought this is going to spiral into the uh, you know oblivion mm-hmm. exponentially. At some point it starts to turn and then investors start to think every rally is a false rally and so that they take forever to get back in. So the key is to think longer term. Will this stock be better off in three years, five years, 10 years, two years even? What am I getting for what I'm paying? And just recently, Warren Buffett was talking about, because uh, this week, this past weekend, his letter came out. And so he's just talking about the long-term approach. It seems to have worked for him. And so the reality mm. is, it's, it's companies like Vivendi, things that we own, where they own universal music. You're not having a disruption in their business. You're not, you're not seeing changes that should materialize in music streaming and thing like that, things like that. But investors just start to lump them all together. 
So, David, uh, tell us where you're nibbling, uh, given everything that's been going on in the markets that you've alluded to with the virus. How does where you're looking change given this particular disruption? So we generally like to we're global investors. We can go anywhere in the world. We've generally had a higher focus outside the U.S. than inside. So we have close to 70 percent of our global fund in Europe today. We continue mm. to believe there's opportunities there in companies like Vivendi, mm -hmm. as I mentioned a few minutes ago. But here in the U.S., companies like KKR, I mean, we love KKR. It's a private equity business that's a wonderful asset manager. You get It really hasn't been off that much, but you're getting a great asset management business that has a, a history of recycling capital. It's a real compounder. And more recently, we've been buying IAC, which is Interactive Corp. That's mm -hmm. Barry Diller's company. Right. People don't really focus on this one enough. They own Match, they own Angie's List, uh, a whole bunch of other businesses. But over the years, they they buy, build, and then spin off these businesses. They have to quite a portfolio. Yeah. It's like a like an almost like a mini VC fund, um, you know, on steroids to some extent. It, it really is. And if you go back and look at it, you realize that when they did this with Expedia, TripAdvisor, mm. uh, what became Live Nation, uh, Ticketmaster. All of these were tiny little things that they acquired, and then they put a lot of capital and effort in, and they really transformed them, and then they spun them off. So when you add them all together, the returns have been fantastic, and they've announced that they're going to spin off Match. Right. So actually what we do is we buy IAC. We do short out Match. We're not making any – we don't have a view on Match. Right. But we want to isolate all those other things, the unlisted assets, Vimeo, DotDash. A whole bunch, they just bought care.com. They have all these wonderful assets in there, and the market's just in this fear period is just saying, hey, dump these stocks. And so we're able to really scoop this up. We think what will be left after match is spun off is actually highly valuable. So you create what you call a stub where you get what's left over, and we think that is just grossly undervalued. So every day that it's down, we try to take advantage of it and really just nibble and keep adding. Just got about 30 seconds here. Do you feel like this year is going to be a better one for value? I mean, you guys, it's not been an easy environment, right? And I'm sure some of your you know, investors are saying, well, you know, what's going on here? Well, value, in this environment, you would think value, because of the cushion that you believe is in those stocks, should hold up well. At the front end of a panic, nobody cares about the values. But ultimately, people start to think about it more. So I do think values more sort of it will help you but i think the key is special special situations and value so you have other things right going on. right so right. you look for catalysts for 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 some kind of returns david marcus we got to run co-founder ceo at evermore global advisors based in new jersey here in our studio you're listening to bloomberg business week with carol masser and jason kelly on Bloomberg Radio. Jamie Dimon, when he speaks, as you mentioned earlier, everyone listens, especially candidly in a time like this when people are trying to get their heads around where the market goes, where the financial services business goes, for sure. Uh, Michelle Davis has been tracking it all, everything that uh, Mr. Dimon and his colleagues have been saying. She joins us in New York City there with you, Carol. Uh, so, Michelle, what do you make of JD's comments so far? Well, so, you know, it's interesting you, you talk about the market swing. It's impossible to ignore right now. But that didn't come up at all during Investor Day. Um, Diamond was really talking about how, you know, their targets remain the same. He said 2020 is going to be a tougher year for them than it has been in the past. He fielded some questions from investors about, you know, JP Morgan was a, a bank that emerged from the crisis unscathed. That gave them time and ability to really just widen the lead against rivals. And people were asking, you know, how much longer can you guys maintain that lead? Why is it going to be tougher? What did he say about that? So it's two things, two main things, and that's, you know, rates are 
lower and so that squeezes their traditional lending business their expectation for nii is a little lower than what it was for last year's full year and the second net part interest is, income yes net interest income um that's you know how much basically what they make from their lending business right the other thing is um competition you know it's just banks or big tech companies are trying to get into banking fintechs are rising up we're seeing you know just all these different sorts of companies rising up everywhere and so diamond said it's going to be really competitive and to counter that he wants to do a big acquisition that was probably the big news that came in yeah. the last 10 minutes he said they are aggressively looking at you know potential acquisitions he said he wants to be very very creative was the quote in terms of what they could buy and he was like mm. we could literally buy anything except for a US you know FDIC insured bank and so don't rule any of that out and yeah. Like, what does that mean, well, Jason? And, <laughs> and, and, certainly, uh, and certainly, Michelle, a lot of eyebrows raised, I'm sure, at J.P. Morgan, uh, more so than just about anywhere, when James Gorman did his big deal buying E-Trade, right? Exactly. And uh, if, if you guys will remember, uh, I guess it was last year, J.P. Morgan announced that it was buying Instamed, which is this healthcare payments company. That was the biggest deal they'd done since the financial crisis, other than, you know, like the arranged marriages that happened there. It was right. around $600 million. And we had reported that, you know, regulators were more open to banks doing acquisitions. And, and Jamie Dimon mentioned that you know, today. He said, more people are getting the green light. The regulators are okay with people being ambitious about future growth opportunities. You know, I do feel like we're living in this time where companies are transitioning themselves. And, you know, I, I'm thinking about, right, what Morgan Stanley just did, right, in terms of their purchase. And I just think about, even there's a story that we're going to talk about later on our broadcast about Walmart moving aggressively into healthcare and making it a top five growth priority. It is an era where, you know, it's not like you just stay in your lane. There's mm -hmm. a lot of different places. And I do see that certainly with J.P. Morgan and healthcare, but it does make you wonder, like, what might they buy? What? How might J.P. Morgan, you know, look to kind of shift who they are all about? Goldman Sachs, I feel like, is kind of trying to remake themselves, yeah. going much more after the individual and the retail uh, consumer at this point. So I do wonder what the speculation is about what is kind of the next chapter for J.P. Morgan. And you know, he mentioned that like adjacent businesses are something that you. Know, that could be a possibility for them. The CEO of the Asset Wealth Management Group at J.P. Morgan also mentioned that they were looking actively at acquisitions, um, you know, either to buy teams or technology or companies that could help them boost what is a, a business that's yeah. you know, dealing with a lot of margin compression and, and that sort of thing. Yeah. All right. So, Michelle, we love the Kremlinology of Investor Days in part because we get to see who's sort of shining the level down from the CEO. Do you see anything interesting in terms of who is presenting, who seemed most impressive? The heir apparent. Is there someone? Well, so, yeah, two of the people that are have been, you know, referred to as diamond successors, uh, Jen Peepsack, who is now the CFO, and uh, Marianne Lake, who is the leader of the consumer lending business, they were two people who presented. J.P. Morgan tends to switch up who presents. So in terms right. of the other people that presented, I wouldn't read anything into that. But I will say that they did, uh, the head of investor relations said that this, they might not do an investor day next year, which would be huge because Diamond has had led an investor day every year since he's been CEO. They said, you know, we've been really clear with our strategy and these days have become less about about breaking news, and so it might not be worth it. They didn't rule it out if you know they decide to do something really big yeah. strategy wise. That feels a little sort of I know. random weird and weird. Yeah, I think I think they've uh, I've heard you know from 
people internally, from from analysts and stuff, that uh, J.P. Morgan is worried that when they have these investor days, they give away too many, too much of uh, their secrets. Interesting. You know? Well, we like talking about these secrets with you. So thanks so much for breaking it down, Michelle Davis, finance reporter at Bloomberg News. So check this out. It's already the world's largest retailer. Did you know, though, it's got a huge pharmacy business and it wants to move even more aggressively into healthcare? Here with that story is Matt Boyle. He's U.S. retail reporter at Bloomberg News. He's writing about it in the business section of the magazine, which will be on newsstands later this week. Right now, it's on the terminal and also at Bloomberg.com. Also with us, Jill Weber, editor of Business Week magazine, both in our Bloomberg Interactive Broker Studio. Love this story. Um, Jason and I were talking about the top of our broadcast. So, Matt, later out for us what's Walmart up to Walmart is trying to simplify healthcare for uh, Americans I mean it is a huge opportunity for them and you're right they already have a huge pharmacy business they do you know, like 36 billion yeah, 36 right? billion in pharmacy optical you know over-the-counter drugs but they've never really gotten into deep into sort of primary care which is what they're trying to do now and people are you know I've got so many Twitter comments about this people saying oh now Walmart can be a one-stop shop where I can get and treat my diabetes and you know ha 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 it's funny but Healthcare is big, it's complex, it's intimidating, and it's extremely expensive for a lot of Americans. Walmart specializes in making things cheaper and easier. So why not Walmart? And they've also recognized that this is a gigantic pile of money that they could probably tap into. Like, how yeah. big of a market do they think? $3.6 trillion in healthcare spending. Now, Walmart's not going to get all that, but if they get some of that, and they've made it very easy for people to, to do this. You just walk in, the prices are right there. $25 for a teeth cleaning. $30 for a checkup. And what's really interesting is that- It's like going to a fast food place and just ordering a Big Mac. They want to make it that simple, <laughs> exactly. It's amazing. Yeah, the more complex you make it, the more people might walk in, get scared, and walk out. Walmart right. does not want that. You have care hosts who walk you by hand into the you know, to the center, and you get your tests done. They're open on weekends. Um, no insurance, no problem. So they're trying to make this as simple as possible. Again, as you say, Joel, to grab some more of this spending at a time when many other companies are trying to get their share. But now this is a and so small, small start too, right? Yes, very, very small. Two, st two, two locations stores. so far, a third opening this summer. Meanwhile, CVS, which of course is much more synonymous with healthcare in America, right. um, they're going to have 1,500 of, of their sort of newfangled clinics called health hubs. Uh, which are opening across the country um, at the same time. And meanwhile, of course, Amazon is busy with Berkshire and J.P. Morgan Chase trying to reinvent healthcare for employees. So even Best Buy is going after the healthcare market. So it's a really interesting time. So Walmart has tried this in some form or fashion before on a much smaller scale. Matt, what did they learn from that? What didn't go right? Yeah, they learned that you can't just have a small, tiny, little minute clinic in the corner of the store that nobody can see, not staffed by doctors. That doesn't work. They did not get enough volume of patients to cover their fixed costs. The American Medical Association wasn't happy that they weren't using full-time physicians. So that was what not, didn't work. A decade ago, we were jumping up and down about these uh, minute clinics. Uh, Walmart still only has about 19, six years after opening their first. This is much more full service. You, walk, you go to the parking lot, you see it. It's massive it's 7,000 yeah. square feet I've had people I went down to Georgia to uh, to see both of these and I had shoppers say oh I just wandered in by mistake I thought it was the store mm. and then they wander in they're like oh wait a minute I, I need to get some tests done why not right. and then you get your prescription filled there instead of right. at the Kroger or the CVS down the street and it's real doctors yeah, that are there exactly doctors dentists Nurses. audiologists 
And it's the mental health side of it that's really interesting. You could go in, uh, you know, maybe just uh, complaining about uh, some sort of medical ailment. The doctor could pick up that you're pretty anxious, um, really stressed, and say, why don't you go over to the next door? He's looking at me really intently. <laughs> I work Nothing. in the news business. Why shouldn't I be we're a little anxious yeah, and crazy? We're a bit stressed. And one of these coming to New York, by the way. Um, and the doctor could say, you know, why don't you step to the next door and talk with a mental health counselor? And there you go. I mean, you know, any good doctor will do that, but it usually would require booking another appointment and showing up and taking more time off work, which a lot of people don't have the time to do. And right. how is this really positioned in terms of, you know, you think about how Walmart comes into rural locations and does like its gigantic locations. Is this part of the existing location and there, or is it a separate building? They're usually building these when they do a remodel. They're remodeling about 500 super centers a year. So they usually tack this on to when they're remodeling a store. So, so existing it's, parking lot, existing Walmart Yeah, location, same parking lot. It's just, just sort of like, you know, it's where the lawn and garden center may have used to been before they remodeled it. And they're tacking on. Yeah, these things are made. Nice, cozy waiting rooms, huge, um, lots of staff. Even what these community health workers who will help you navigate, you know, prescription costs and stuff. So lots of staff, lots of patients well we'll find out they say they're they won't tell me exactly how many people they've seen other than the volumes are higher than they had anticipated now again it's only two locations right. so walmart's going to tinker they're going to tweak they're not going to get it right right away of course not but once they get right. this right and step on the accelerator and you start to see hundreds of these that's when it gets really interesting jason i know you have a so Matt, ton of questions here yeah i mean one of the big questions i have is that a lot of skeptics of walmart out there are essentially going to say Look at your own house, Walmart. You know, you've had complaints about your own workers and the affordability or lack thereof of health care. Are you really well suited to, to do this for other people? Yeah, it's a perfect, valid criticism. There have been a lot of criticism of Walmart over the years. Remember the internal memo from 2005 saying that, um, you know, so many Walmart employees and their children were uninsured or on Medicaid because Walmart's own uh, corporate health care plan uh, was too expensive. It's prohibitively expensive for them. Uh, so they've gotten they've gotten beaten up on this over the years, but they've made some progress. Right now they have uh, what's called centers of excellence where they will send employees for complex surgeries like back surgery uh, to places like the Cleveland Clinic or high-end and specialists for free because Walmart's able to throw their weight around and get rid of the middlemen. Um, so while they have endured a lot of criticism and, you know, and for good reason over mm. the years, and that's going to lead a lot of people to say, well, you know, look at you, exactly, Jason, look inside your own house. But Walmart is now saying we're, we're new, we're different, we're a little bit more woke here. So give us a chance. And I think once people try this, um, you know, they might come back. I mean, I just think you take one of the biggest problems in America right which is healthcare and basically just flip it on its head and say like look we're not even going to bother with insurance we're going to yeah. make everything like we know we can do low price and affordable yeah. and provide access potentially right it's all like, it's, it's the access question if you look at where most yeah. americans are uninsured and yeah. you and you layer that over where walmart has their super centers right. guess what yeah. <laughs> it's like a one to one relationship well, you say yeah. is it 150 or 155 million weekly customers i mean think about that as your starting base that's yeah. phenomenal exactly i said walmart wants to be the front door of healthcare in america it helps when you own 4760 doors already <laughs> Yeah, that's what I call a Amazing. WOA stat yeah. <laughs> or so stats. Yeah. So just really quickly, Matt, how soon will we know whether this is a success, you think? Well, they're not. I mean, it's never going to be at this point. They're not going to be breaking it out in their financials anytime soon. So we're going to be hearing anecdotally. I think what's what's yeah. key is to check in with the local Georgia healthcare experts and say, you know, is this really pulling people from the hospitals, right. from the chronic right. care centers? Then we'll know. 
All right, Matt Boyle, thank you so much. Great story in the upcoming edition. You can find it online and at Bloomberg on the Bloomberg Terminal right now. I'm driving in my car. I turn on the radio. How about you let me drive? Oh no, 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 no. Who's gonna drive you home, honey? Please, I'll do the driving. Drive home. Excuse me, I want to drive. Just drive, baby. It's the question that drives us. This is the drive to the close. That punk music will drive us till the dawn. On Bloomberg Radio. Helps if I push the button. Time for the drive to the close once again in our Bloomberg Interactive Broker Studio. It's turning out to be a pretty busy Tuesday. Tom Plum is back with us, President and Chief Investment Officer at Plum Funds, based in Madison, Wisconsin. He's in our Bloomberg Interactive Broker Studio in New York. The Plum Balance Fund, I know I always point this out because I think it's worth noting, remains in the 99th percentile for the past five years, meaning it beats pretty much all other funds in the category, returning on average annually nearly 9%. Tom, nice to have you here. You know, it's funny, I was looking at some stuff on Twitter, uh, and somebody says, the stock market is not the economy. That's what we say when stocks are rising. Stocks are falling, the economy is screwed. Now, how do you, like, when you look at this environment where stocks are going lower and lower, do you see it as, okay, this kind of makes sense, we got a little bit overdone, or do you say it's just because of the virus and there's a lot of questions out there? I mean, how do you see it? Well, I think that the environment is such that when you look at the politics, that was a concern, and then you put on top of it this virus concern, it's it's logical that a market that was up 30-some percent last year, that it's going to cause people to be a little bit anxious, and then it feeds on itself, and that's where we are right now. So is it just investors looking for an excuse, or what? Or it's it's legitimate, though, that the virus could be a serious thing? The, the virus, we don't know how serious it'll be, but we do know that the implications of the fear of the virus is pretty significant, and it will have impact on both the economy and, as we've seen, the markets. And so, Tom, what do you do when it comes to individual names here? Do you think about pairing back? Do you think about adding? Like, what, what's the immediate reaction? Or is the immediate reaction just sort of hold steady and figure out uh, how long this goes? Jason, if you put it into perspective, this is just another nail in the coffin of the old economy. When uh, we look at we're going to have 16 of the major retailers report this week. We're going to see how they fared during the Christmas season, but their outlook now that a lot of people aren't going to be out shopping again. And, and so it's the companies that have a digital strategy that have basically embraced the new economy. Those companies will come out of this pretty well. So just another nail in the stocks of the old economy. Yes. So this is like this kind of big turn that we're taking, right? Um, you know, it's interesting because we just talked about a story with Walmart. You know, we know who they are, of course, but they're looking to move even more aggressively into healthcare. I do feel like we're in this era where there's a lot of new companies that are really the leaders in this market, but also even older companies that have been around for a while trying to kind of figure out what they need to be going forward. Exactly. You know, the, Walmart has got to have a strategy that's different than what it was a few years ago, or they're going to end up being like Sears and Kmart. Do you own Walmart? No. Okay. 
So what are you what are you happy with owning uh, right now, Tom? I mean, looking at I, what I believe is your top holdings, you know, you've got Visa and MasterCard. MasterCard coming out yesterday and warning specifically about this coronavirus, uh, but you're still bullish on those names in that sector? Yeah, Jason, when you think about it, MasterCard said their revenue is going to be impacted. But when you think about it relative to the economy, they're basically saying their revenues are only going to grow three times GDP growth for the next mm. quarter. So I think but the they're growing. They're going to keep growing. Right. And the question, and we've talked about it in the past, they'll grow very, very fast when the economy is strong. They're going to grow much faster than the economy when the economy is weaker. So go ahead, Jason. Did you want to follow? Well, no, I just, I, I mean, I'm interested in that sort of broader trend. I also wonder about Microsoft, which is another one of your uh, big holdings, uh, I believe. I mean, that's, that stock has had a really nice run. I believe they've really sort of gotten back into the cloud game. What, what specifically is the case there? Well, again, the data revolution is going to require a lot of people going to the cloud. Uh, they've mm -hmm. changed their old model for the Windows and other services like that to subscription models. And then the cloud is also a subscription model, and everyone is going to move data up to the cloud because it's so much more efficient, so much more secure, so much more easy so to update. Get done, right? Yep. Well, it's interesting. Going back to MasterCard, and Visa is also another top holding. You guys, it looks like roughly, I think this was as of maybe the end of December, so forgive me if this isn't up to date, but MasterCard looks like you had almost about a 3% position and Visa about a 3.2%. Is that... Do you not want to go above those levels, or would you like MasterCard, which maybe took a little bit of a beating, and a lot of names are taking a beating, will you add to these positions? I think, um, you know, one, you don't necessarily want to get in front of this market at this moment. But so if you, you wouldn't be about, buying right now? Not not today, but, okay. but it doesn't mean that you won't be buying tomorrow or the next day. I think, you know, you, you get, run a real risk when you try to anticipate when something is over. And uh, we'll see when it's over. When the selling starts to abate, usually in the afternoon, you'll see some buying come in. And if that buying starts to tell us that we're close to a bottom, these are the types of stocks I think everyone should own. We've seen that, Jason, I think both days, today mm -hmm. and yesterday. Yeah. I mean, not to say that we're rallying significantly, but you do see us get hitting a bottom and kind of bouncing around there. Tom, if it, keep me honest here, and if memory serves, you've spent some time in, in China, I believe. What do you make of it from the perspective of a U.S.-based investor with experience and with understanding of that market in terms of the country's both political and economic reaction here? You've got a good memory, Jason. Yeah. <laughs> um, now, I, I think that what you're seeing is that a, a lot of the uh, – weaknesses of the Chinese system get exposed on something like this. And uh, there's a lot of people in the United States who don't trust the statistics from China. There's a lot of people in China who don't trust the statistics, and they're very, very concerned. It is going to impact the economy, but then companies like Alibaba, which, mm. as we've talked about, is yeah. being Amazon on steroids, that's a company that's going to continue to do well, again, because this virus affects all these companies that had to uh, sell things and are looking at how they're going to move things in the future, their right. services and things like that, also affects all the companies that were starting to address their supply chains 
because this is just another risk that becomes very apparent today. Yeah, that certainly has become a theme, uh, certainly over the last year between the trade wars and then to see this that we've I just even this week or, you know, we've talked a lot about supply chains mm-hmm. and how it's really going to be changed uh, going forward. Tom, always nice to have you here. Thank you so much. Thank you. Tom Plum, he's president and chief investment officer at Plum Funds based in Madison, Wisconsin, in our Bloomberg Interactive Brokers. As I said, it's a top performer, not just in the past one year or two years or three years, but in the past five years, pretty much beating all of its peers in that balanced fund category. Thanks for listening to Bloomberg Business Week. You can subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, SoundCloud, or Bloomberg.com. You can also listen to our radio show every weekday at 2 p.m. Eastern, only on Bloomberg Radio.